All right, as Mark said, today we'll be reading from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, and then also in Matthew 24, from verses 1 to 31. So we have Daniel, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now flicking over through to Matthew. Matthew chapter 24 verses 1 to 31. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and you will deceive me, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to, the, to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will, be, and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of, most, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in, um, in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days would be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. 
or hear he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Thanks for that, Molly. Um, This is obviously a very hypothetical situation I'm going to put out there for you. But if you knew for a fact that the second coming of Jesus was going to happen 48 hours from now, what difference would that make for you, do you think? I suspect for all of us it would shake up our priorities quite a lot. All of a sudden our our work, our reputation, our long-term aspirations, they, they would count for nothing. They'd all seem meaningless. All that would matter is whether I'm ready for Jesus to return and whether the people that I love are ready. Uh, We're covering quite a long passage this morning, two whole chapters, chapters 24 and 25. But the big picture here is clear, and that is that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. And the question is, will you be ready? And that's the outline that we're going to be heading, looking at this morning. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. Will you be ready? Uh, So firstly, Jesus is coming back. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you you have seen that Jesus has been standing against the Jewish leaders of his day. He's been accusing them of hypocrisy and, and false religion, empty religion. And God's judgment on them is going to be the destruction of the Jewish temple. Uh, Jesus says this as he's leaving the temple. He says, Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, the destruction of the temple is a big deal if you're a Jew. And so Jesus' disciples, who, who are Jews, they, they assume this must be the end of the world that Jesus is talking about. So they say, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus tells them, no, these are, these are two separate events. But, but there are parallels between them. The destruction of the temple points us to the ultimate end of the earth. Uh, now, this is a hard passage to understand. If your head was spinning a bit as Molly was reading it, that's, that's totally understandable. And there are different opinions out there on, on what certain verses are exactly referring to. But it, but it seems likely that a fair chunk of the passage is talking about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple at the hands of the Romans, uh, which happened around 70 AD, which is about 40 years after Jesus spoke these words. But I don't think the whole passage that we read is just about the destruction of the temple. Uh, because in the, the early verses of the chapter, Jesus has warned of wars, nation rising against nation, famines, earthquakes, persecution of Christians, betrayal, hatred within the church, false prophets, increasing wickedness. And then in verse 14, he said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, there's a possibility that this is speaking about the the periods between 
Jesus' death and resurrection and the destruction of the temple, but, but it seems like an extreme description. And in any case, the, it kind of talks about the end there in verse 14 as a, a really climactic event. And the destruction of the temple wasn't particularly climactic for the gospel going out, because the gospel has gone out for, for years since then. Now, it's more likely that what's referred to in verse 14 is the very end. And there's no doubt that verse 27 is talking about this, this very end when Jesus returns. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What Jesus is saying here is that when he returns, it's going to be unmistakable. It's going to be obvious to everyone right away. The Son of Man, as we read, will come on the clouds with power and with glory. His angels will gather his elected ones. So a, lot, a lot's going on there in that, in that passage, but there's, to boil it down, there are two hugely significant events that are going to take place, Jesus is saying. Firstly, there's going to be judgment on Israel through the destruction of the temple. Uh, and this, as traumatic and as, as big an event as this was, it's only the beginning of birth pains for the second event, uh, which is going to be judgment on the whole world when Jesus returns. Uh, so two events. One of them's already happened. The temple has been destroyed. Don't take my word for it. It's real documented history. The second event is still to come, and that is the day when Jesus is coming back. But we don't know when that day is going to be. Jesus tells us about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father knows when Jesus is coming back. What we do know is that the return of Jesus, he tells us, is going to be preceded by war, famine, distress, persecution, and gospel outreach which doesn't really narrow it down because that kind of sums up the last 2,000 years of human history and, and probably the foreseeable future as well. So we, we look at the, the war going on in Ukraine at the moment, which is, which is absolutely awful. The, the things we're seeing out of there are, are horrific, but it's not proof that Jesus is about to return. It's just yet another sign that we're living in the last days, and that Jesus is coming back one day. It might be this afternoon. It might be in a million years' time. We don't know. Uh, there's going to be no specific warning, Jesus says. It's going to be a bit like Noah and the flood, he tells us. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus says, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. We'll just be going about our business, Jesus says. There'll be two men working, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women working, one will be taken, one will be left. We don't know when Jesus is coming. And so, Jesus tells us, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, he says, if the owner of the house had known at what, at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. 
so you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now, if you knew that someone was going to break into your house at a, at a particular time, you'd, you'd do something about it, wouldn't you? You wouldn't just let it happen. You'd lock your doors, you'd remove your valuables away, you'd probably double and triple check your insurance policy, you'd tip off the police, and you'd probably book a hotel for the night and just stay away for the night and let the cops deal with it. Likewise, if you knew when Jesus was coming, you'd get things in order. You'd be ready for that day. But we don't know. Jesus is coming. We don't know when. And so the question is, will you be ready? And Jesus tells us three parables, which, which each make the exact same three points. So firstly, Jesus will be gone a long time. Secondly, Jesus will return at an unknown time. And thirdly, if we're not ready for him, we're out of time. It's too late. Uh, So firstly, at the end of chapter 24, Jesus tells us about a master who goes away for a long time and he leaves a servant in charge of all of his household and all of his belongings. There are no phones back then. There's, There's no way to know when the master is coming back home. And if the servant is faithful to his task, he'll be rewarded. The master will reward him. But if the servant is disobedient, if he thinks, oh, the master's never going to come back home, the master is going to come back at a time that he doesn't expect and will punish him. It'll be no good the servant apologizing and cleaning up his act then. So the point here is pretty clear, isn't it? When Jesus returns, it's going to be far better if he finds us doing the right thing, living obediently. So that's the first parable. The second parable, we we have 10 bridesmaids who are waiting for a groom to arrive at the wedding party. There are five smart bridesmaids who bring along spare oil for their lamps, um, but five foolish ones who don't. Uh, The groom is a long time coming to the wedding. He's late to the wedding, which is a bit of a role reversal from probably most weddings that that we're used to in our day and age. And the bridesmaids, they they fall asleep and their lamps go out. They wake up at midnight to the news that the bridegroom is about to arrive and the smart ones, no issue for them, they just put oil in their lamps and they're, they're ready to go. The foolish ones, they have to rush off and find more oil. And by the time they get back, the groom has arrived, he's ushered them into the party, the doors have been shut and the late ones are locked out of the party. And therefore, Jesus says, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And again, the point is obvious. Isn't it? Make sure you're ready when Jesus comes because it will be too late. Pens down, exam finished, no kick after the siren to win the game. Um, but what does it look like, we might ask, to be ready? What does it look like? What, what am I meant to be doing right now? And the next parable sheds some light on this. Uh, we have a, a master who goes away on a long journey and he entrusts his wealth between three of his servants. Uh, So one servant, he gives five bags of gold. Another servant, he gives two bags of gold. And then the last servant, he gives one bag of gold. Uh, Now, one bag of gold was what was known as a a talent. That was the currency back then. And it was worth 20 years wages for a a common laborer. Uh, So in today's terms, 20 years times $50,000. We're talking a million dollars here. So we're talking a lot of money. Uh, the master eventually returns to settle accounts to, to see what's happened with his money. The first two servants have invested the money and they've been able to, to double the money. 
And the master says the same words to both of them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But the the third servant, all he's done is just buried the money in the ground. Uh, So he he says to his master, I know that you're a hard, unreasonable man. Here's your money. This This is what you gave me. And the master, he says to him, you wicked, lazy servant. And he throws him out. And the point here is that to be a Christian is to be a servant of Jesus. We have a part to play in growing our master's wealth using the resources that he's given to us. And we need to be faithful to that calling. What is our master's wealth? Well, it's not cash, it's not shares, it's not property. It's making and growing disciples of Jesus. It's the growth of Jesus' kingdom. It's leading people to Jesus and helping them to grow in maturity in Jesus. And Jesus gives each one of us unique resources to contribute to that growth. My skills, personality, time, material wealth, my relationships, the people who God has placed around me, the opportunities that I have to point people to Jesus. You know, God could have chosen anyone in the world to have your circumstances, but he's, but he's chosen you. I've got next-door neighbours on, on both sides of, of my house. Most of us probably do. I, I suspect that no one else is going to knock on their door with a, a six-pack of East, Easter buns and Easter eggs and give them an invite to church for Easter services. That, that's an opportunity, a unique opportunity that God has given to me. Jesus finishes chapter 25 with a rather confronting picture of what the end times are going to look like. He tells us, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So he's going to separate his people from those who aren't his people. And if you, if you can read the, the size font up there, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And their response will be, huh, What? When, when did we do these things, Jesus? And the king will reply to them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then to the others the people on the other side, he'll say the exact opposite. He'll tell them, depart from me because you didn't feed me, you didn't clothe me, you didn't visit me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, Jesus tells us, but the righteous to eternal life. And that's where Jesus finishes. Now, we might take this to mean that Jesus' main concern, his his big concern is about social justice, So that the true people of Jesus are the ones who care for the poor and needy. And and there's some truth to that. Jesus does indeed have a deep heart 
for the poor and needy, and, and he wants us to as well. But if we think that Jesus saves people based on how they care for the poor, then we move dangerously towards a salvation by works, which is not what the Bible teaches. What I think Jesus is saying here, first and foremost, is that he will judge us based on how we've treated him. Because that shows our heart response to the gospel, how we treat Jesus. And how we treat Jesus is going to be expressed in how we treat other believers who form Jesus' body. So in the Bible, when Jesus talks about brothers and sisters, except where he's talking about literal family members from the, from the same parents, he's talking about other believers. Other believers. Now, does Jesus want us to show mercy and, and kindness to all people, regardless of their worldview? Absolutely he does. In fact, that's what Jesus did himself. But he's making a particular point here, which, which is that what we do to other believers, we do to Jesus himself. Now, the message of the whole Bible is that we're saved by responding in faith to Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the, the message that we'll be particularly celebrating this Easter. What that means is there's, there's no pass mark, there's no checklist. We don't earn our way to pleasing God. We simply accept Jesus' offer to take our guilt on himself. And nothing that Jesus says here contradicts that at all. But, but what he's doing is he's applying this gospel message right to our hearts in order to impact the way that we treat him, the way that we respond to him. A bit like my marriage vows that I made to Alicia six years ago, they're just empty words if they're, if they're not reflected in the way that I love and care for her in my words and actions. So how we treat Jesus is going to be reflected in how we treat other believers and it's going to be reflected in how we seek to grow Jesus' kingdom. See, the problem with the lazy servant in that parables of, the parable about the bags of gold is that he had no desire whatsoever for kingdom growth, which betrayed a lack of love for his master. It was all about self-interest for him. Jesus is saying, I'm going to return at an unknown hour, an unknown time. And when that time comes, we're all going to have to give account for how we've lived for him. And so again, the question is, are you ready? Now, maybe you're, you're here this morning just checking church out, working out what, what Christianity is all about. And, and if that's you, then, then you're probably sitting here thinking, well, if Jesus is coming, I'm, I'm probably not ready. The, the beauty is that every second Jesus delays his return gives us more time. It gives us a chance to get ready. It's a bit like, I don't know if you've ha ever had this experience, but when you're, if you've got people coming over for lunch or dinner and you're, you're running behind on your preparation, the dinner's not ready yet, the house isn't clean yet, and, and you're, just, you're, you're hoping they'll be delayed and, and you get a message from them saying that they're going to be late and you think, oh, thank you. It's a, bit, a little bit like that. His delay gives us time. And this is meaningful for me because if, if Jesus had returned 15 years ago, I wouldn't have been ready. I'd be lost. And so I'd encourage you, if this is, if this is all new for you, if you're, if you're hearing this for the first time or still wrapping your head around it, 
to work out for yourself if you think Jesus is coming again and if you think you need to be ready. Uh, we'd love to have you along in a couple of weeks' time at our Easter services. Uh, we'd love to have you along at our Life Series as well if you'd like to explore that further. Uh, for the rest of us, if you're someone who has put your trust in Jesus, well, how does the return of the King shape the way that you live today? What are the unique opportunities that God has given to you to grow his kingdom? This is why we run events like the, the Life Series, uh, our Easter services, our Easter gift wrapping event. Um, it's because we want to lead more and more people to Jesus. It's why we partner with other organisations like with ES on our university campuses, uh, with CMS and with Compassion all around the world because they have opportunities that, that we don't right here to make a difference. I mean, how good is that, that, that 59 families are being released from poverty without us even having to go overseas? It's a, it's a great privilege to be able to partner in that way. It's why we have community groups here at Trinity Church, Modbury, uh, to help us to, to care for and be cared for by one another. Because we want to maximise the growth of God's kingdom together. There's going to be a day that comes where the things of this world will count for nothing. A day when we'll realise that the loose change that we're given in this world is nothing compared with the kingdom riches that Jesus promises us. And we want as many people as possible to be able to share in those riches.